0: When you work for a company where people love what they do, it's amazing what comes out of it. And you really felt a sense of community and you really sense a sense of family.
1: Welcome to Conversations with Connors, a NetworkWise podcast, and I'm your host, Adam Connors. NetworkWise trains and educates individuals and organizations in the science and art of networking to accelerate sales personal development and career opportunities. In conversations with Connors, I talk with a variety of highly successful individuals in order to gain insights on how they built, maintained, and cultivated their relationships in order to live a life by design, not by default. My next guest is a fellow entrepreneur. He's the founder of a tech recruiting firm, but he is far from the stereotypical guy when you think of a quote-unquote tech person. Chris Allaire is an extremely fun and extroverted guy who, from his core, believes in building deep and meaningful relationships with everyone he meets, especially his employees. He's also very intense and committed to continuous self-improvement of not just himself, but everyone in his spheres of influence. He's passionate about loving what you do and making sure his employees can be true to themselves rather than trying to fit some kind of corporate mold. He's also big on purpose and having a reason as to why he's doing what he does. When you listen to him, you'll immediately wish that he was your friend or even your boss. During our conversation, we learn about Chris's story, a bit about his company, and even some of his favorite numbers. He also shares with us steps that he would take if he were to be looking for a job. There's a lot to learn here. So, Without further ado, let me take you to my conversation with my friend, the founder and president of Averity, Chris Allaire. Enjoy. Should
0: we have some fun? What do you think? I'm ready to roll. I'm a good time. I think you were born ready. I, <laughs> yeah. People say that. I don't have no idea what that means. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, how about this? Since you are good, you're good on your feet, you like to think outside the box. What do you say we do things a little unconventional today? I love unconventional. All right. So, I usually, towards the end of uh, my conversations, I being that uh, we don't have enough time to go through them all, I randomly have got pages of questions that I'd love to get the answer to each one. But we're just going to have to pick a couple randoms. What do you say?
0: I'm um, 100%, I'm ready right. to win it. What do you have? Awesome. And
1: I got them broken down in all different categories too. Oh so boy. let's start. How about this? Let's go work. Scale of one to, or I'm sorry, not a scale of questions one through 16. Give me a number. Uh, we'll go work number 10 for 100, Alex. <laughs> all right. In one year from now, what's an accomplishment or a goal you would have achieved?
0: Only one. Or good, good. Right. Let's so just, I think the biggest thing that I really want to do is continue to pioneer what I've been doing, which is really kind of building a community based on a humanization of a business that's not necessarily known to be human anymore. Ooh. And so I want to have a community of people that are really kind of attracted to us that are around us that are networking with us as opposed to constantly kind of reaching out to introduce yourself as opposed to, oh, hi, by the name, I'm, I'm I'm Chris. And people say, oh, no, I know who you are. I know what you do. I'm actually associated with one of your businesses or one of your circles or that community feel and that community relationship. So I love that idea where they know whether it's a membership or whether it's a community or call it what you will. But hopefully within one year's period of time, it's have a great circle of a community where people want to be a part of it the people that are there are proud to be a part of it and they talk about it and they talk to it with their friends and they're like, no, this is great. i I love where I am. I love what I'm doing. Hmm. So I guess that's probably a good segue to what is it that you do? <laughs> so I run a uh, technology recruiting firm in New York city. So very niche specialty practice. We have very team oriented approach. So it's very different in the marketplace, but we do full-time. We do contract staffing for technology professionals in New York in the area of data science, data engineering, DevOps security and backend software engineering.
1: Yeah. And for the record, and for those that are listening, it is such an awesome office. You come into this office, you go into this building you take the elevator you open up the elevator actually I'll, as you open up the elevator there's a
0: massage table and there's someone sitting there getting a massage so what's yes that's that's only on Thursdays though oh gotcha so gotcha. that's yeah so you happen to be there on Thursdays which is why I invite you there on Thursdays so when you come in and we strategically do interviews on Thursdays so people walk in like is that a masseuse oh, it's like man. well yeah she's yeah, she comes here on Thursdays. So. I mean,
1: the vibe to your office is fantastic. The light blue color, it's inviting. There's like this nice music in the background. Everyone's yeah. walking around with a smile on their face. And obviously people are making money. They're happy where they work. Just the vibe that you've created is very different than and, and any other staffing firm that I've been with, and especially on the tech side. So if you don't mind, and I know we're kind of deviating here. Well, I'll get back to some of the other questions, but I'd love to hear about – how important, like, how'd you create that vibe? How important is that vibe? And how do you feel that the vibe and the
0: culture that you've created have contributed to some of your success? I know I just threw a lot at you. So when I built the company, one of the most important things that I really wanted to do was stay focused on a commitment to service and a commitment to an unparalleled experience that everyone interacts with. Like, Wow, I got treated extraordinarily well. But our... to basically to build this culture of raving fans that were outside of the office where people felt like they were important when everything they did was like wow this you guys have made something that is typically something that's not fun to do but you guys made it a pleasurable experience so when i thought about that being my number one goal is i really wanted to make sure to stay focused on that is bringing that internally into my own company where people felt like, wow, this is a great place to work and I love my job and I really want to be here. And I think the biggest things I think about is when you spend 75% of your life at work, so it's, it's getting ready for work, commuting to work, at work, commuting home from work. And then you have this unwind time that a lot of people don't really think about. So putting in an environment where you don't feel like you're at work, and especially in midtown Manhattan on Fifth Avenue and 36th Street, where You don't feel like you're in the concrete jungle. So when you get off the elevator, I wanted people to feel like right off the bat, like, wow, I'm in a place that I can be casual and calm and comfortable and inviting and where I can come in and just be my authentic, genuine, real self and not have to really worry about the stigma or the stick or making sure the top button is buttoned or that my shirt is pressed. It's like, no, come in and be real. And that's what I wanted. I just want a space where like, I want a space that I want to go to work every day. And that's what I liked about it. I want cool, comfortable, casual, inviting, and just where people get off the elevator, like, man, this place is awesome. <laughs> and every now and then you show up on a Friday, there's a dog running around the office. So it's just keeping it at a place where people can be the best where they really are, not what they're trying to be or not who they think they're supposed to be. I don't think that's genuine. Uh, So I want to build an environment where people are like, this is just awesome. I just want to be here.
1: So did you always have that clarity or is this something that has come as a result of reading certain books, following certain people, talking to other CEOs and and leaders?
0: Actually, a lot of all the above. So I've had the luxury of working all over the country over the last 20 years. So I started in Boston, was in San Francisco, ended up in North Carolina and all these different walks of life and all these different organizations that I've worked for. And I've helped build a lot of companies. And some of the things I've always taken away from it, you, you take away a lot of good and you kind of, you want to make sure that you're not doing the bad. And I've been a part of environments where they were so worried about certain things. You're like, why are we worried about all these things? It has no reflection on how we do our job on a day-to-day basis. So for me, I was just like, I don't want to do what everybody else is doing. I want to have a place that I can turn around and say, no, this is, it just makes sense that I, people walk in, they love their job. And if people love their job, they're going to work harder for the company. They're going to treat their clients better. They're going to communicate more effectively. They're going to communicate with a better level of, of authenticity. And and the word I, I coined is kind of genuosity. <laughs> they're just going to have a better way that they go about doing things. So, yes, yeah, through reading. It was through a lot of uh, listening. It was through talking to different people. it's through going to different offices, different client sites. And you walk into different client sites, you're like, why would anybody want to work here? And then you walk into another client site, you're like, this place is... Pretty freaking sweet. This is awesome. Like when you go into places, I love having the mission statement. I love having that type of stuff written on the walls where people walk in, and you're right off the bat, you're like, yeah, I want to be here. I want to be a part of this. And I haven't, I don't even know what we're doing yet, but I want to be a part of this type of thing. So yeah, it's the reading, it's listening, it's it's studying, it's years and years and years of just constantly soaking in my environments around me and understanding really what I want out of it. Mm. Anyone's in particular, you know, any people out there that you, that you've
1: listened to that has really kind of helped you crystallize your vision? I mean, I know you're aggregating
0: everything, but I don't so know if anyone stands out there? Well, it's interesting because so years ago when I was in the in the financial sector and uh, lived in North Carolina and I was doing residential loan origination and I worked for a company that was went on Fortune Magazine's top 100 companies to work for two years in a row. And first year we were on the list, we were number 25. The second year we were on the list, we were number 14. And that was one of the biggest impact points and biggest things that I really took away. That when you work for a company where people love what they do, it's amazing what comes out of it. And you really felt a sense of community and you really felt a sense of family. We felt like a family. Like if people you worked with, you would bend over backwards to help them, to work with them. And this gentleman I work with who I still try to keep up with all the time, his name was Chris. He was my vice president, he was very influential. To me, he just knew how to deal with people. He knew how to manage people. He knew – he just kind of was a guy that I knew for a fact that he was my boss's boss, but at any given moment, I could talk to him about anything, and I knew he had my back. And because of a lot of the stuff that he did, I was one of the top performers in the office, and it was mostly just because of a great support cast. And the CEO of the company is a gentleman named Pat Flood, and he, he was just a very influential man every time you heard him talk. He always spoke about your family and reality – And things that you're like, you know, he's got a bigger purpose on being here just than making money and closing deals. And so I think that what I got out of working with that company is remembering why you're doing it. It was just, it felt great as opposed to some other places that I've worked that were just really, you could just tell it was all about the bottom line. And what have you done for me lately? And if you're not making me money, then you really have no use. And I've been a lot of those places, you know, the churn and burn mentality. And I was just like, I don't like that. I, I don't, why would anyone want to be a part of something like that? And the people who are, I think is great for them. Not me. That's not what I want to do. So the people that I worked with in that company were really the, they were critical to helping me understand what was really, really important and valuable and in business and in life.
1: Yeah. So you own a tech uh, recruiting firm. Obviously, you guys are doing well. And I know that your turnover is ridiculously low, too. Actually, talk about that for a minute, and then I'm going to ask my question.
0: So I know the general space, but I can't speak amongst everybody. So when technology recruiting, and specifically in New York, what I've heard and what I've read is that there's about an 85% turnover ratio on a national average. It's about a 45% turnover ratio. And sales in general is one of the highest turnover ratios in business since 2000 since january of 2018 my company has a 0% voluntary turnover ratio
1: and for the record uh, we're in march of 2020 yes. when we're uh, recording this so song. i'm going
0: on over 2 years of anybody wanting to voluntarily
1: leave the organization yeah that's impressive and and again you're in recruiting and in sales. Yes, <laughs> no, it is recruiting so, and in sales so, very much, yes. Yeah, so and then so what is it that you're attributing? You know, obviously you guys have created a good culture. Mm-hmm. You've, you've provided a good platform for your recruiters to make money, but at the end of the day it's up to them to be able to bring home these these sales, these placements. What is it that makes them stand out and mm-hmm. and and makes them successful?
0: I think The critical aspects that when we hire people that I look for in people is really, first and foremost, is someone who's very genuine, someone who's very authentic, and someone who's a very naturally charismatic and caring person. Our interviews are not, how do you close somebody? What are your sales tactics? Our interviews are, what do you like to do? Tell me about your family. Tell me about your hobbies. Tell me about something in your personal life that would make me go, wow, this is a really interesting person. And I think what we do is we hire for the personality traits and someone that we know we're going to get in sales in an environment. You're going to get people who are naturally hustlers and you get people who are go getters. You're going to get people who are, they're going to work hard and they're money driven and and all that kind of stuff. You're not going to look at a sales position in your career unless you've done that. So the people that we look for, I like to look for people who have been around the block a little bit. And what I mean by that is people who have gone through different walks of life, who have tried different jobs, who've done some B2B things, who've done some B2C things, who are in a position where they say, I know what I really like and I know what I'm really good at, but I don't necessarily know what I want to do, but I definitely know what I don't want to do and I know where I don't want to be. And what I've been able to do is take those people into our environment and say, here's what we are. Here's how we do things. Are you cool with this? And 99% of them are like, this is incredible. So I have a very simple philosophy in the way I manage things. And what I do is I have a, a set of company laws. And the first thing I tell people is like, First and foremost, you get to be here. You don't have to be here. You get to be here. This is not a, This is not a. you know, you're not doing me any favors by showing up to a job that you don't want to be at. If you don't want to be here, open the door and leave. You're welcome to leave this job anytime you want. But when you're here, this is not a hobby. This is what we do. We work hard. We play hard. It's about teamwork, communication, collaboration, all for one, one for all mentality. And you need to understand that. So when I hire people, like I lay down kind of a set of ground rules and and what I call them the company laws. And if you're not in, then you don't need to be in. That's fine. I'm not worried about it. But when you're in, you need to know like, no, this is the deal. And this is what you're signing up for. And it's really that together, everyone achieves more mentality. It's just, I have to, I don't say drill it into people because they don't, it doesn't need to be drilled into people. But I like to really kind of drill at home so people understand really what they're becoming a part of. So there are mo- no misconceived notions on like, oh, I thought this was a you know individual contributor role, or I was just going to sit in the back room and bang phones. It's like, no, actually, that was never, you know, that's quite the opposite of what we talked about.
1: So what's interesting is that you guys specialize in tech. And, you know, if you don't mind, clarify how important the human relationship skills are for your role? And before answering that, the reason I ask is, I do know a bunch of other people that do what you do. They don't necessarily own their companies, but they're in this space. They've been trying to tell me that it's, oh, it's not personality, it's not relationships. All you gotta do is just match up this type of technology with what this kind of job is in this company. And I'd like to beg to differ. And I think that yeah. you could probably help me beg to differ. So don't I, yeah, mind, I couldn't
0: agree with you more. So first and foremost, people hire people. I don't think a lot of people really understand this is the fact that regardless of if they're qualified to do the job, if you don't want to work for someone or with somebody, you're not going to work with that person because let's face it. You can have some people that are some of the most intelligent, technically savvy human beings on God's green planet, but if they have no interpersonal skills and if they can't manage situations or if they are a total mental breakdown, like ready to happen in the office, that's a culture killer. That's a cancer in the office. You can't have something like that. So they can be as technically savvy as anybody else in the room. But if that person is a freaking if that person is a, someone you just don't want to work with, then no one's gonna want to work with that person. No one wants wanna collaborate with that person. And then you've got a person in the room who's just stuck out there on the middle of an island. So I don't care what anyone ever says about it. from a technology standpoint. Yeah, you have to be technically sound on what you do. And I understand that, you know. But um, but if you don't have genuine people skills, That's why people get interviewed, right? That's why you're not hired based on your letters on a resume. That's why they don't send you a code test and say, if you pass this code test, you now get admitted, right? Or now you get an offer based on what I've read on paper. Like no matter what people like to say, you still interview someone. And when you interview people, you're still going for a culture fit. You're still going for a personality fit. You're still going for a team fit. And so whatever anyone wants to say, like if you're not a genuine human being that has good personal skills that can interact with other people around you, no one's going to want to work with you. And I mean, that might be great in some situations, but I got to tell you, I don't know a lot of situations <laughs> where they just want someone to sit in the back room, close the cubby hole, put your headphones on and just code away. And it's different than it used to be. And it's people start to realize it like, no, it's people hire people first, not your skill set first.
1: What do you encourage your the people that are working at Averity to do to kind of develop these skill sets and these relationships?
0: Oh, be themselves. So first and foremost, be genuine, be authentic, be transparent, and through that, be trustworthy. People are going to work with people they like, they know, and they feel that they have their best interests at heart. So I think the most important thing you can possibly do is when you're talking to somebody is understand a certain level of empathy. Understand who you're dealing with. And especially in my business, we're dealing with people who need to hire people and people who need jobs. Neither of these situations are easy. They're very time-consuming. They're very tolling. They're very frustrating. And at certain points you start to, you know, you see a job description and you're like, wow, I love this job. It sounds amazing. And you go in for the interview and you're like, this is nothing like I thought it was. You see someone's resume and you're like, wow, this person looks incredible. And then you get them on the phone. You realize like, wow, their communication skills are horrible. They don't have any idea what they're talking about. And all they read their resume to me really well. But, and I asked them questions about how you think outside the box. They couldn't answer that for me. So all of a sudden that interview becomes very disappointing So I think it's a really interesting thing. Is I'm like we have to in the being the intermediary between these two parties, you have to understand that you have to understand the fact that like listen you're in the middle of two products that have an opinion, and that's the reality of it. So if you don't understand that, you're going to be in a world of trouble because if it lines up on paper perfectly well and the two people that interview each other don't get along, no one's going to get hired. No one's going to take the job. So I think reality is like. We need to understand that if it's a people first business, it has to be a people first culture. And then that's really what it's all about is like looking at people and saying, you need to understand that you're talking to people first. You're not talking to a skill set. You're not talking to a resume. You're talking to a human being. That human being has a name. They may have a family. They come from someone. They what they do is something they probably take a lot of pride in. So understand what they're going through and understand where they are in their life and then provide some type of solution that we can help them out with mm. or else they could just do this on their own. And if they could do it on their own, they would do it on their own. And there's some people that try to do it on their own. And all they do is get frustrated with it. And then turn to us and like, I'm sick of doing this on my own. Can you take help? Interviewing for a job is not fun. Interviewing candidates is not fun. Like taking time off from work to go interview for a job is a toll. There's five major impact points in someone's life. And we're part of those. So you have the birth of a new child, a death, a wedding, buying a home, and changing a job. know, these are five of the most stressful, emotional, impactful points in a people's life, and we are one of those. We're I'm, I'm in the middle of that. Like the people that I employ, we're in the middle of one of these major life changes.
1: Maybe two if they're moving to you if they're moving
0: for a job, which <laughs> yeah. can be even worse. And so when you start thinking about the people you're talking to, and I don't want to talk about the rest of the, the industry that's out there, but you have to understand it's not a transaction. It's like. You have to understand where people are coming from, what their motivations are, why they are interested, why they're not interested. And if you're not a genuine, authentic self, no one's going to want to talk to you because then they start to understand that's like, you could care less about what I'm doing. You only care about yourself. And that's not going to help me. What do you recommend that some of these
1: candidates do or just anybody in general to enhance their people skills?
0: I don't know if I really know how to answer that question. Good answer right there. Yeah, that's a difficult
1: Do you feel it can be learned?
0: I feel it can be natural if you're speaking to someone that you have an affinity with. So in general speaking, a lot of people in the tech community are a little bit more introverted. Now, on our business, when you're dealing with people who are a little bit more introverted, you need to make sure that you understand a common ground with them. And you have to find something in common with people, right? And it doesn't matter who it is or who you're talking about. You have to find something in common. So as soon as you start finding a common ground on something you can talk about, then the conversation can escalate a little bit. I've always been taught and I've always said like, there's three kind of basis points on formulating a good relationship, and it's know you, like you, and trust you. Now, there's no particular order for those. Like Some people are ones like, oh, before I know you and like you, I want to trust you first. Other people are like, oh, before I trust you, I need to like you. And then I like you, then I trust you, and then we'll get to know each other. So everyone's got a different pattern on the way they work. So I always try to tell people like, try to find a common ground with the person you're speaking to. And then the conversation will kind of naturally open itself up. So whether it's, you know, not everyone's in a sport, some people are really into gaming. Some people are into um, a technology platform. Some people are into online poker. Some people are into, you know, um, you know, music or the social arts or whatever people are into. There's ways that you can find, help people find a common ground. And then, once they find that common ground, then this kind of then it can be a catalyst into a much more casual conversation, which your natural people skills will tend to come out a little bit more. So helping people identify their people skills is a little bit more of an art form than it is a, a scientific approach because no one's the same. No one's going to be, I don't know how, else, how else to say that. You've got some people that are extremely extroverted. I'm one of those people. I can talk about any given subject with any human being for days on end. And as you can probably see, never shut up. And there's other people, they say three words and that's their sentence and that's okay. So everyone's going to be a little bit different. I think the biggest thing for people is just, if you can find some type of common ground that you can talk about, then you have something to talk about. So I I try to tell people, start there.
1: What would be your advice for the introvert that is in technology, that's looking to make a change and to stay? Because getting back to... I think there's a conversation we had at lunch yeah. last week or we mentioned something about the average turnover in technology is 17 or 18 months. I forgot the exact
0: number. It, that seems about right. I mean, yeah. I've always figured it'd be about a year and a half to two years on the job. And then you're kind of on the market again, which is weird to say, but it's just the way it is. So one of the things we constantly coach, coach people on is when they're going in there is making sure that they understand the audience of the person they're talking to. And that's one thing we really pride ourselves in. As I always say, the number one rule in sales, you have to understand your audience, it's not about what you want to say. It's about the person you're talking to and the way they're going to interpret information. So one of the things we always try to do is really understand from a candidate standpoint is who you're interviewing with. What are these people like? What's their background? Where do they go to school? What's a podcast they listen to? What's a networking event that we saw them at? So hopefully what we try to do is build that common ground or a foundation where they're like, okay, I, they studied mathematical computation you studied mathematical computation. You guys already have something in common. You have a good common ground that you can start to build off of. And so hopefully what we try to do is some, put some people at ease and understand that like a human interaction, it just, that's as simple as where it starts. And I think sometimes you can, you can take some nervousness out of it, but there's a lot of people that are just genuinely nervous when you're getting interviewed for a job is a very difficult thing to do. And you're going to walk into a room of Sometimes like three to four people that are just going to fire a bunch of questions at you. That's a tough situation for anyone to be in. Mm -hmm. So I try to tell people like, hopefully the best you can do is understand the people you're talking to, the audience that you're in the room with, and hopefully you can find some type of common goal and something you can work off of. And if you can do that, the conversation will happen a lot more naturally. And I've noticed that when those situations arise, the interviews leave. And typically what you get is like, wow, I really like that person.
1: What would you say is the percentage of uh in terms of getting a job is I don't know, let's call it on a out of hundred percent. How much of it is your resume? How much is it your personality? How much is it your references? How much is it your how well you interview? How much is it your references?
0: Interesting. Lately, what I've seen, especially over the last couple of years, is references have become null and void. Most of the time they're checking references just so they can check a box and most of these companies have a third-party system. That will just call your employer and say like, oh, did they work there from December through March? Yes. Okay. Thank you so much. Have a good day.
1: Can I jump in on that? Yes, please. W- what are your thoughts on
0: that? I think it's interesting. I think depending on what job you're interviewing for, personally, I think that if you're interviewing for a job that requires a lot of human interaction, if you're interviewing for a job that requires any type of management or... Anything to that effect where there's a lot of people skills involved with it, I think it's up to the employer to back channel references on and to find somewhere they used to work, find someone they know, reach out and do a back channel. However, if you're hiring somebody in in a really strategic level position, it's not a bad idea if you're hiring someone at these salary levels and some of the positions you're putting people into is to do a back channel and say like, hey, I see that this person used to work for you over there. They don't know I'm calling you. I want to make this person an offer. What was your real experience?
1: Okay. We got references. How important is the resume? How important is the interview process? Just So the interview yeah.
0: process is the interview itself. I think the first two interviews are going to be the most critical ones. So ideally the person's already been screened, qualified, and interested in the position. So you're starting off on a good note because you're like, oh, this person's qualified, interested, and available for my job. The resume is a tool for the interview. So ideally what you're looking for is when you see the resume, you're going to see, dates, companies, titles, letters, and numbers. And you're like, okay, everything looks neat. The real rubber, let's say that the rubber hits the road, is when the interviewer is going to start talking to the interviewee about what they did. Can you articulate to me how you did this at your last job? Can you articulate to me what happened when you guys bottlenecked in this problem? Can you articulate to me, can you explain to me the difficulties you ran up against? So 80, personally, I think like 80% of really what's going on, especially right now is that first initial two interviews should be the primary intersection between figuring out if you're talking to someone that can really do the job or can just say they do the job on paper. The resume is a great reference point for, again, great reference point for the interview. Titles, I think are kind of irrelevant. I've seen people with CTO titles at five-person companies that are really not a CTO. They're just a lead engineer. And I've seen people lead engineers at 50,000 person companies that are the lead on a team of 15 people that probably could be the CTO of a small company. So I think your titles are irrelevant. I even think some of the technologies you've used are are relevant to a certain case to make sure that you can use them at the job you're applying for. But the real the reality is, is you want to hire someone who really understands what they're doing, can articulate how they did it. And can solve problems when it hits the fan. So how
1: how often does this happen in tech, where a great candidate's resume just is, is not under properly understood by a potential hiring manager? Frequently, all the time, huh? So frequently, yeah. yeah. It's a lot of times because there's it's more value to your services then if you're able to kind of support.
0: Yeah, I think what, exactly. I think what you really need to do is make sure that you, when you're presenting someone to a position, is giving some girth between, like, hey, this is what you're going to see on paper. This is what this person really does. I think, depending on the seniority level of, of some of these people, you can't put everything you've ever done on a resume. It'd be physically impossible. These things would be 15 to 25 pages. Mm-hmm. So, what you have to do is at least some type of highlights. And I think the resume is a great bragging point. Like, if you ever read my resume, you'd swear to God, I'm the most like amazing person, sales guy you've ever I put up these numbers and negotiated these things. like, all right, it looks good on paper, right? So I think it's really invaluable to have someone that can explain, this is what you're going to see. This is really what's going on in this person's situation. Because these people aren't like, no one's a professional resume writer. And no matter how like, oh, we can spruce it up a little bit. But no, I say put three to four bullet points that explained what you did explain some of the outcomes that happened, explain some of the bragging points, the things that you can really talk about, because that's what they're going to talk about. Other than that, it's up to you to get to the interview and actually answer the questions, Like because no one's going to look at your resume and be like, "Obviously, oh, this person's really good at what they do. They're going to be like, "Well, this person looks like they're pretty good at what they do. Let's get them on the phone and see what it's all about. So that first one interview is critical for people. Yeah, it is. <laughs>
1: and, well, and then how, do you have any good stories of people that maybe their resumes were garbage, but you were able to get them a meeting as a result of the relationship that you had oh oh, you know,
0: well, yeah. frequently yeah so i mean i'm not gonna name any names with and it was listening someone they knew who i'm talking about where well, the resume was just the only way it would have looked better is if their three-year-old daughter actually did write it in crayon. <laughs> so and i was like we gotta, like we gotta do something with your resume and he's on the phone was like i don't know what else to put down i'm like you know what i I'll don't don't sweat it man i'm like i i got some people are gonna trust me they know who i am i'll get you in front of people and the same thing happened. They saw the resume and they're like, Chris, you got to be kidding me. I'm like, do me a favor. Talk to the guy. Just give me the benefit of the doubt. Spend 20 or 30 minutes on the phone. And I'm telling you, you're going to be happy. And you know me. So we're going to be in good shape. And then the candidate gets on the phone with somebody. And then all of a sudden, like I've been on the phone, like, or I've been doing something. And while the CTO has been on the phone with the candidate, has been texting me or emailing me saying like, Jesus, like, where did you find this guy? Oh, my God. I'm so happy. I spoke to them. Like and then the interview happens and then I'll get a phone call from the CTO or I'll get a phone call from the candidate being like, yeah, I'm going over there this afternoon to meet with the whole team that plan to make me an offer. And that's happened to me numerous times because of just the relationship of getting somebody in the door because of the trust level. And also, I mean, it takes a while for me to prove my worth to somebody. So I can't just put somebody's resume in front of somebody like, you have to trust me to talk to this person. It's like, dude, I don't even know who you are. So it's happened a lot of times with people. It's happened a lot of times where I've told people, I'm like, Oh no, we're not really looking for this type of person. I'm like, do me a favor. They can be a value added, huge to your business. Talk to them and see what happens. And then they talk to somebody and they're like, oh my God, like we're going to be able to build three new products that we never thought about because of what this person is bringing to the table. And I've had people that Rex were not even open. They didn't even know they needed that person. And then they decided to just interview that person or talk to that person. And then all of a sudden that person ended up being their lead android engineer for the next like two and a half years those are the
1: best kinds of stories let, let me ask you this have you had well i'm sure you've placed multiple the candidate multiple times throughout their career right oh, yeah. then, oh, then yeah. i'm sure they've become your client too correct yes how often do you find that the, the candidates themselves are appreciating the relationship that you bring to the table or is that something that i mean i'm sure some do some
0: don't but how much of a differentiator is that for you i can tell you wholeheartedly that I think probably on one hand over the last however many years I've been doing this, how many candidates have not appreciated what we've been able to do for them. Cause again, I don't think there are, there's a lot of people out there, They just, they have no clue how to go about looking for a job. So where you start, I'm go- I'm going to put myself on the market. Some things are happening in my current job. I'm not happy. The next question is like, okay, where do you go? And it's like, well, I'm going to reach out to some people that I know that are working in some companies and see what's going on over there. And then after that, it's like, I guess I'll, do what i'll answer some ads or something so then there's like this mass confusion layer and then typically what happens and they'll start talking to us and then once we start really identifying what they want and then we start tapping in the network and we start talking to them really about what they do you can hear that level of comfort like wow you guys definitely i know for a fact that you have my best interests at heart and i mean we've recently had two candidates within the last like month that have told us that like, you know what? I'm already in process of these two companies. Can you do me a favor? Can you take over the process for me? I don't want to handle this. I've had another candidate that I've placed now three or four times in his career that when he comes back on the market, he just came back on the market last year in November or October, something like that. He was getting other leads from LinkedIn or from other people emailing him. He was taking those emails and forwarding them over to us and my team saying, hey guys, can you do me a favor? Can you get me into these companies? And we were able to actually act on that. 'Cause that's the level of trust that these people like, yeah, I'm getting random stuff all the time on the internet, but I have a relationship with you. You know who I am. You know what I want. You know how to accurately represent me. Do me a favor, get me in front of those companies and help me out.
1: Do you have a rule of thumb on
0: how quickly you'll get back to somebody? i tell everybody try to get back to people in the same day. The reason I say try is because realistically speaking, it's not I always like say what you do and do what you say. So that's my biggest thing. Is if you say you're gonna get back to someone later that afternoon, get back to that person later that afternoon. If you say you're gonna have something in 24 hours, make sure in 24 hours, you have something. If you, I think those are the critical points. It's like, no, say what you do and do what you say and follow through on it. And you're going to be in good shape. I think realistically speaking, if you tell somebody I'm going to submit your resume to the client and I'll have an answer for you by the end of the day, that's not accurate. So I think if I'd love to say it to everybody that we'll get back to you by the end of the day today, but it's like, I may not hear anything today. So what I'm going to do is I'm submit your resume. I'm going to follow up some phone calls. As soon as I hear back, I'll let you know. My goal is to get back to through the next 24 to 48 hours the latest.
1: Right. All right. A number between 1 and 12. Give it to me. Five. Any reason for five?
0: Yeah. The A lot of things happened last year in the business in fives that were just amazing. So I kind of a number that really stuck out to me. I'm a big Johnny Fench fan. His number was five also. So it's just kind of a weird thing. But like last year, we hit certain milestones. We moved to Fifth Avenue. We were five stars. It's like all these numbers uh-huh. and fives kind of like showing themselves. So it turned into a number that really stands out to me, kind of front and center now. So I like that, and that's a
1: big irony on this question when I hit hit you with it because five represents all things that are good to you. So the irony of this question is, if shit hit the fan and you had to get a job, what would you do?
0: And if you don't mind, let's play this scenario out. How about that? So what would I do? I would want to have a position where I could either manage. um, I want to have a position where I I would want to manage people, um, specifically either managers or salespeople, people that influence and have a direct influence on other people. So walk me through this scenario. So let's say, and I'm just totally making this up because I think this is going to be
1: good for people that are listening. Mm-hmm. Let's say that, you know, for some reason, which isn't happening, the tech world just goes to crap. So now, Chris, you've got to get it. You've got to get a job. So someone who's who's out there that's looking to get a job, what would you do? How would you, would you put, what would be the couple steps that you would do? Would you put a resume together? Would you reach out to your network? How where does LinkedIn play into things? Walk me through the process of what you would do. So- I think-
0: First and foremost, what I would do is reach out to the people that I know and I trust in business in general. I would try to stick to an industry that I really happen to have some affinity with. So I'm not going to say, you know, good or bad of whatever industry it is, but I would find some industries that I know that I really have a passion about or that I really believe are going to go somewhere. And I would reach out to the people that I know in those industries and kind of go that route. I would pick up the phone. I would start making some phone calls. There you it know, is, know, and I would reach out in real time, just like, hey, how's it going? Unfortunately, hit the fan. Can we talk? Can we grab a coffee? Can we sit down and chat a little bit? I think secondary after that, I would try to look at people that I'm second connections with and I would try to get some introductions. You know, I'd be like, actually, hey, Adam, you know, I see that you're connected to so and so. Read a lot of really good things about this company. Could you do me a solid man? Like, could you introduce me to the CFO over there? Um, I think there might be something, a value add that I could bring to that organization. You know, could, could you help me out? I love going to networking events, so I think there's a lot of undervalued resources that people don't talk about that are at networking events. And I don't mean like massive conferences and stuff like that. I mean like meetups. I mean like going to an event where people that are highly specialized in their field and in their craft are all in a room together listening and because you have a little bit more attentive audience. So I think right off the bat in there, you're going to triple your odds because every conversation you're having is kind of a little mini interview. Hey, what are you up to? How are things going? What are you guys doing? Et cetera, et cetera. And next, you know, you've got kind of this little plate interview going on and you never really thought about it. And then after that, I would just make sure that personally, I think LinkedIn has a lot of value these days. I think really what it comes out to is now, realistically, it is your open online social resume. It's one of those things like, like it or not, it is what it is. And it's a free service for organizations to look at volunteered information that you put out there. So. Before I start putting things on a piece of paper, I would want to make sure that everything on my LinkedIn profile is exactly the way I would want it to look for what I'm going for. So that way when people, when they start to back channel me, they look at it and they're like, wow, this guy's got a, quite the tenure of experience that so we should definitely talk to him. After that, I'm not going to say I would go door to door, but I would definitely try to, uh, I'm a huge fan of, of, uh, of just open networking or trying to talk to people that are movers and shakers in the industry something you and I talked before. I, I'm a huge fan of, if you go to events that have speakers, I'm a huge, huge advocate of reaching out to the speakers. I don't know why for some reason that people are, are intimidated by this or they, they just, they feel like they don't like, Oh, I don't want to bother them. People who love to speak about a certain topic are very passionate and typically a lot more open than you think they are. Mm-hmm. So if you just reach out to them and say like, Hey, listen, I see you're speaking at this event. I'm going to be at that event. Can I, grab five minutes of your time, 10 minutes of your time, just introduce myself. Very few are people actually going to turn around and say like, no, <laughs> don't, no, don't talk to me. They're going to be like, no, as a matter of fact, like, absolutely. I've gotten more business from that way. I go out of my way to make sure I speak to the keynote people that are speaking at these events because that's how it's really done. I don't think, you know, I really don't think it's complicated. I just think you need to take the, they're just, again, it's just, they're just, talk, they're just people. They're just people standing up talking about something that they're really qualified to talk about. And if you don't put yourself in front of them, you're probably never going to meet them. I agree
1: wholeheartedly. So I want to go back to something because you talked about reaching out to your network and stuff. So you and I have done a really good job staying in touch. And usually I'm the the network guy, quote unquote, that is the one reaching out and being the energy behind a relationship. But you do a great job of that, whether it's just a funny text we'll send, whether Mm -hmm. it's just commenting on something in social media that we've posted, or if maybe I post it, you know, if I, you know, the news article, whatever that might be. So you're, you're very, you're very conscious of that. Is that something that you are conscious about and you do those with a lot of your friends or how do you maintain a lot of these relationships while also build a business, have a young family, have a wife, commute an hour, you know, how do you do How do you do it? I think it's a lot le- of people, and I'm sorry to cut you off, but a lot of people make excuses. Yeah. So I want
0: to get your perspective on that. How, how, how have you done it? So firstly, I start with networking in general. I, I think it's a very, I honestly, I think less is more. You don't need to have a network of 5,000 people. If you have a strong network of 25 to 50 people that you're really, really tight with, it is a very powerful tool you have. So I think the beautiful thing is what I love to do is if you have a very strong network of people that you really feel an affinity with, that you want to have a relationship with, you have to constantly just reach out. All you have to do is just say hi. Just quick text, quick thing on LinkedIn, quick little, the little thumb up, you know, the like or comment on mm-hmm. it, just to let them know you're kind of always there. I don't think it's rocket science just to reach out to people that you want to be you want to see successful as well. So whether it's CTOs or VPs of engineering, I've been talking to the same people for 12 years. And I say, I've been probably talking to the same 150 to 200 people for that that length of time. I take time to really know them and understand them. You're not going to be able to talk to everybody or not reach out to everybody. It's just physically impossible to do it. So personally, I'm like, I know that the people that I try to constantly network with and affiliate myself with are first and foremost people I want to because I like them. Second of all, they're people that I know that we have a lot of affinity with. Go back to that kind of bottom line, something in common with. And I think there are people that just, you know, when we have a mutual respect for each other on who we are, what we do, and we both know that our time is valuable, that I think we're really, when it comes to working your network, when you have those kind of mutual understandings, it's phenomenal. When I started my company over six years ago, I reached out to about 45 to 50 people on LinkedIn and I let all of them know what I was doing. I heard back from 48 (laughs) And all of them said, I'm a hundred percent. in. I can't wait to be in business with you. And I thought that was the best. It was a very good moment for me. And I was like, okay, and I had a couple of people actually tell me like, wow, it's about time. And I was like, <laughs> all right, let's go. So <laughs> I was, um, it was one of those like great affirmations that I know that I was getting into the right thing. I don't, and again, really what it was, was just like, these are the people that I want to reach out to. These are the people that I know I have affinity with. These are the people I want to be in business with and reach out to them. Awesome. Next set of questions. You ready? I'm in. Let's do it. Ready?
1: 17 to 59. Whoa. Uh, 33. 33. You just rattled that one right off.
0: Yeah. I. <laughs> so three was my baseball number uh-huh. and 33 was my high school football number, but that was more years ago than I really cared. I admit out. So, <laughs> so uh, here's the irony of
1: this question. Um, it was one of my actually favorite questions. And... It ties into the shirt that I'm wearing. Any can you can you guess by any chance what the question is going to be? No. Uh, Where's your favorite place to get pizza?
0: Oh, that's a sad story. So <laughs> it went out and it went out of business a couple how, of years ago. Oh, that
1: is sad. I was, was going to say, so how does
0: anything with pizza sad? It but. was a, it's the sad story. It was my favorite place on. I so my wife and I, my now wife and I, used to live on 72nd Street and Central Park West, and right off the express train was city pie on 72nd street. So I'm still trying to find one that I really like. I haven't, it's all awesome. I don't really, I don't have one right now. Gotcha. Okay. So, fair, fair enough. Yeah.
1: All right. Let's go to the next question. Yeah. Make it personal here. Give me uh, one through 14. Give me a number.
0: Through 14, uh, 12, 12.
1: Okay. Besides your family, what is your most prized possession?
0: Besides my family. Yeah. The most prized possession I Well, I'm going to use the term possession as a tough one. I think um I can I think my company is I yeah, my company. I am the luckiest. I have so many things that I'm just lucky for, but I really think to do what I've done with I'm so passionate about my company and what I stand for and what I believe in and the way I really think it should be done. I mean, it's just, it's, it almost feels like family to me. I mean, that's my, I call it kind of my baby, but it's, I know it's not because I have two little ones at home that are my babies, but (laughs) this is, it's something that I would say. It's like, I love it. I love what I do. I love my team. I love the aspect of the business. I love the logo. I love everything. About
1: so, it. so how do other people, you're very fortunate.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How do, how, what advice would you give that, This will be my last question and I'll let you go. What advice would you give to other people to help them to tap into this passion that you have? You know, you're fired up to go to work every day. Yeah. You're fired up to build something. You're fired up to help other people that are working for you build whatever it is that they're looking for. You're fired up to help your clients. You know, what, what advice would you give somebody to help tap into that same level of passion that you have?
0: know your why i think people have to understand their well, purpose Simon Sinek, it's well yeah it's tony robbins so you, know, yeah. you have to know your why and i think it's really it goes i honest people just don't talk about it and it's really makes me I don't, I don't, they talk about the what all the time but they don't talk about the why they're really doing it because you've got three basics you got the what the why and the how and a lot of times you talk about the what and then the how but you forgot the purpose behind it so I tell people, and then what I've been really focused on is like, don't ever forget your purpose on really why you started this in the first place, why you're really doing this, because the purpose was everything. Because you woke up one day and you had something in your mind, and whatever that vision was was yours. And if you didn't follow through on it, think about like, there's a lot of people who are probably listening to this that you never followed through on that, and think about the way that kind of makes you feel a little bit. Now, some people are like, well, I'm really glad I never followed through on that because it would have, you know, real estate market in 2008, wow, that would have been a tough one to follow through on. However, there's a lot of things that you probably. If you did follow through on it, know the way it would make you feel right now. So I just tell people is like when you start something and you know why you're doing it, you need to hold on to that why. Write it down, keep it in front of you, and never stray from your purpose. Cause your purpose will leave you th- will lead you through the good times and the bad times. They're gonna lead you through some struggles and growth. They're gonna lead you through some financial highs and lows. They're gonna lead you through when you maybe make a wrong hire that you're like, wow, what do I do with this situation? Um and especially like a lot of people talk about the bad, the bad times in business, not to be weird, but the great times in business are even the more reason to remember the why you're doing things, because it's very easy to get distracted by the Almighty dollar. When business starts rolling in, and you're like, "Wow, this is fantastic. You know, that's not why you did it. And I think for some people, it is why they didn't, and I think it's fantastic. but it wasn't why I did it. And so I tell people it's like, you need just the why you did it is what made that happen. Don't forget it write it down, keep it in front of you and stay true to it. Now you can pivot a little left you can pivot a little right from it. But if every year you're coming up with a different reason why you're doing something, you need to get back to kind of square, you know, ground zero a little bit, a little square one.
1: Wow. That was great. Thank you, Chris. I really appreciate you coming here, taking a trek to the sixth borough. Well, thank you. Make it a great day. You too. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for listening to Conversations with Connors, a NetworkWise podcast. If you or someone you know is looking for a career change, building a business, seeking to expand sales, or is just generally interested in improving your overall health and happiness, then head on over to NetworkWise.com to gain access to a plethora of resources to help you build your networking skills and community. Those who are ambitious will network. The ones who succeed will network wise.